All right, so here we are. We're in this series in uh, 2 Timothy, and we are starting chapter 3. 2 Timothy, starting chapter 3. So just to do a little recap, um, the little setting here, Tim, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. Uh, they've known each other for years, and now Paul knows he's at the end. Uh, he's, in a, he's in a Roman prison, and he simply put it this way at the end of this particular letter to Timothy, and the time of my departure has come. Can you imagine just no you're going to die. And maybe he knows that the Romans have set a date and he's going to be executed on that date. And, he, and he's been talking to the God about it and maybe God's given him a piece or whatever it is. But this has to be one of those things where if you know you're leaving, your whole, your whole adult life has been poured into Jesus Christ and now you're leaving the earth. And so he wants to make sure that Timothy, who he kind of sees as a successor and an elder and a respectful person in that, in that area, is, is well-equipped to do the job that he has to do. And he actually says um, at least five times to Timothy uh, in this is, I charge you. So he is literally putting some heavy weight uh, on Timothy with this. So uh, we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 17. Before I read that, though, let's, uh, let's pray, because we do need God's help here. Father in heaven, uh, we just thank you for your word. We thank you even for these men who we read so much about that we almost think we know them, as they've experienced you as the same as we do. Um, and as we are here tonight, uh, we ask that you are here in your great mercy, just pouring yourself out as we need knowledge, uh, we need revelation, we need wisdom, we need all those things to follow you. And we ask, and we know that's your, your uh, desire, so we just ask that you give us that here tonight as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Reading in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, uh, let me just set this up even a little, little bit more. So what's going to happen here is Paul, he's been talking to Timothy a lot about false teachers, and he's actually going to call them imposters in this text, in verse 13. We're going to go to verse 13. So he's going to talk to them about what he calls the last days and the evil people that will be in the last days and the imposters. And he's obviously going to be wary of these imposters. So that's who we're reading about here. Starting in verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Now, before I continue, just a quick note. Um, 
I think this is probably the longest list in the New Testament of, um, and it's actually called a vice catalog. So in Greco-Roman literature, they would put these things together to help the society, you know, develop themselves, like, don't be like this, be like this. And so Paul uses that device here, um, and it's, it's a Greco-Roman vice catalog, and it's actually put together in pairs. So, um, for example, uh, and they're called, they're sound-alike pairs in Greek, so I'm not going to be able to do that part. And that's why they don't really sound alike to us, because they've been translated to English. But you can see it like in the, in the first one, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. That's a pair. And that lovers, you know, would have the same root word in Greek that it does, uh, you, know, um, you know, so the people would, and, and as they continued through, the next two would be proud and arrogant. Again, similar words in the Greek, and, and it just kind of had that weight of carrying its impact. So they're actually written out in pairs. Uh, continuing in verse 6. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Just a quick note, those two men, when you first read this, you say, oh, I'll bet you they're back in Genesis. Well, they're not back in Genesis, but they were understood throughout history. Those were the names given to those, if you ever saw the Ten Commandments or read Genesis, they're given to the Egyptian magicians that challenged Moses. Remember when Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake and then, and then the, the Egyptian magicians did the same thing. That's the name given to the, these guys and kept in history so that they would know who the imposters were. Moses was the real one. They were the imposters. Just throwing that out there for you. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters, there it is, that's who we're talking about, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay, back to the beginning. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. You know, I remember as a new Christian when I'm first reading this, and you, and you read a text like this, and then you start reading the description, you go, oh my gosh, that's like right now. This is happening. You know, so this must be like we're in the last days. And then as you do more study, you come to realize we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, you know. And there's this, um, uh, matter of fact, I'll just read it to you. In Acts 2.17, uh, when uh, Pentecost happened and the Spirit of God fell on the crowd, um, and then there was, you know, they were speaking in tongues and doing various things, and then Peter got up and preached this sermon to them, and like 3,000 were saved. And part of the sermon, he says, because they were asking, what's going on here? And he says to them, 
and in the last days, and he was quoting uh, a scripture, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So that's actually the beginning of what's the age, okay, the New Testament age, and, and that goes all the way through now. We're in the last days, but they were also in the last days, and so these types of people that sometimes you think, oh, that's us, uh, they've been around for a long time. One of the commentators shared a story where um, this professor used to get this piece of literature, and, and he would just read it to the class, and everyone's gone, oh, yeah, that's us, you know, and it was a piece of Greco-Roman literature from the time period, you know, so it was the same descriptive thing. Just to get you in that category is, um, and I've often, I even hear people like, like, well, my mom's generation, she's a little older than I am, obviously, but she'll say, oh, things were just so nice back when I was a kid, and they've gotten worse. And I, I've thought about that, and I can think that way too somewhat, but I think when you're really young, and, um, you know, you're kind of just, you know, you're learning the world and everything. Everything kind of just seems that way. But then after you live for a while, you realize, ugh, it's really always been kind of bad. Um, okay, verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Um, I can't comment on every one of these. I think that if we were to stop on any one, I think they're kind of self-explanatory. Um, some of the things, like just say proud and arrogant, are more inside the heart and mind issues. And in a culture like ours, they can be so common that they're actually thought of almost as righteousness. That's, you have to be proud and arrogant, and then you're all about it. You know, I've started to notice, um, you know, even in cultures, whether it be sports cultures, because that's what I'm watching, sports and things like that, just to be boastfully arrogant is actually applauded. So that just goes to show you how far off we can get. And as believers, again, there's this, this is a vast maze of terms here, but we need to be careful to watch those things happen around us and then us not absorb them. And that's part of the reason we're given the word to, to actually take that time. So the other thing we tend to do is we tend to read a, read a list like this and we go, oh, I know that world out there. Man, they're just all so bad. And I'm decent. And that's not the case. Okay, yes, they are lost. We don't really expect much different from them, right? They have not seen they have not tasted, they have not heard what we have heard and experienced God, okay? We expect that from them, and instead of, uh, sometimes we want to generate an anger toward them and a closed off to those people. Oh, but that's our mission field. Those are the people we are trying to reach. So we can know from these terms, but we can also take these terms and say to ourselves, where is that in me? If they're all acting that way, I guarantee you it's rubbing off and coming into my mind and thinking, yeah, I kind of like that boastful, arrogant stuff, you know? And that's just where the Christian, you know, has to correct himself. So I thought let's just take one. This one can seem small, okay? Very, very common, I would, I would think, it's maybe when I get done. So let's, let's take, let, but it's actually massive. Let's take ungrateful. You can say, oh, come on. So you forgot to say thanks, you know? Whatever. Just get on with it. Just get on with your life, 
You know, all right, all right, I know, I know, but God gives me food every day, so whatever, whatever. Just hold on. In Romans chapter 1, the grand, one of the features in the grand indictment against mankind, okay, this is Romans 1 where it lays out the wrath of God is being poured out on man and all this stuff. One of the features of the grand indictment is ungratefulness. Romans 1, I'll, I'll, just, re, I'll just read it. Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's number one, that you don't honor God. Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, what man doesn't know in his blindness, and this is not the Christian. This is why we're here. We're Christians. We're learning. What we know is completely different. And I've been thinking about this since I've been working on this lesson. And Gratitude is like this beautiful thing. If you come across and you talk to someone who's just like full of thankfulness and gratitude, that's a pretty good conversation. You know, they're not all "Mm," head down like that. It's just someone like, yeah, I can't believe just what happened. Wow. You know, that that's a lively good person, especially if you direct it to God. See, what we don't, what man doesn't realize is that we are totally, totally dependent on God. From Acts 17, Paul in the Areopagus, where he gives the gospel presentation, he said, God gives, he starts telling them about the unknown God. I don't know if you guys might picture that, the unknown God. Let me tell you about the unknown God. Because he is, he's unknown to all, they make up gods, everyone does, we do it in America. And then there's the unknown God, the real God. And he's telling them about the real God, who's the God of all gods. God gives all men everywhere life, the essence of life, and breath, and everything. So, what if you just take away those things right there, what do you have left? I mean, he gives you life, breath, and everything. That's everything. He goes on, though. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now you're getting into a realm here. Hold on, hold on. We live life we don't even have the essence of life. You know, God speaks. We have the essence of life. Like, what is it? But God gives it to us. It makes us truly alive. We have life. We live and we move. We're moving. Your mind is working. You're listening to me. Something's firing. All this. And have our being. Now, that's like an all-encompassing thing. We have being. So without God... In him, in his power, in his control, in his providence, in his everything, we have a being. So if he says, Steve, now I'm going to snap away your being, I'm just gone. I like the way the movies show that kind of stuff now. See, like if I were to tell you just 100 years ago, they would, you wouldn't have that image in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? You know how they make someone just kind of go, and they disappear? I think of that right here. That's what, if God said, I will take away your being. You're gone. You're just nothing. Literally, literally, God is holding you together. I remember Ed Payone taught the, when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and he got to that point, and I'm, I'm, sometimes I'm just like really listening, and he got to that point, and he's like, it was what the Holy Spirit does, his, what he's actually doing, you know? And, and, and he was using the Scripture verse, and I remember one word he used was that the Holy Spirit manifests everything. And I'm like, what? 
I even said to him afterwards, did you mean to say that? Manifests everything. So manifest is to make real. So sight, sound, everything like that. So everything you see, everywhere you go, even in this whole room, everything on the walls, everything, even the air and the invisible thing, it's the Holy Spirit manifesting it all from one moment to the next moment to the next moment. It's him. This is our God. This is the real God. See, we tend to, like most uh, Americans, and I understand it, you know, all through school and the, the sin nature and all that stuff, we tend to think like, God made everything, and God created everything. Okay, good, I'm all good with that, you know. But now it's just kind of running, you know. That's really a deistic view. And then he's like far off. And, you, you know, sometimes you can really, really pray real hard and summons him right in there, and he's going to do his thing. That's not what the Bible says. He's right here. He is sustaining everything moment to moment. Let me give it to you from John Piper. So he, he, John Piper just wrote this book, uh, pretty recent, uh, Providence. And uh, in it, he's showing the godness of God. That's the kind of, the kind of stuff he says. Um, and there's these 10 things where he's, he's actually expanding on um, where, you know, Moses is talking to God, and, 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 and Moses said, well, what's your name? Who am I going to, you know, all the Egyptians had named gods. He says, what's your name? And then before he told him his name, he said, first, I'm going to tell you who I am. And he said, I am who I am. And so John Piper expands that in saying he's telling him that he's the absolute being of all. So he's telling him who he is, then he's going to tell him his name, Yahweh, which actually includes I am. So he, he goes from that, and then John Piper says, here's all that the Bible says that that means about God's absolute being. Okay? So, and this is one of them because John Piper lists out like 10 of them, but this is going to get the job done. God's absolute being means that everything that is not God depends totally on God. All that is not God is secondary and dependent. The entire universe is utterly secondary, not primary. It came into being by God and stays in being moment by moment on God's decision to keep it in being. You're getting into reality here. There is no reality outside of God. This is, the, this is the large God that we have. He's not distant. He is here and with so much power at any one time that you, I'm just trying to make the point how dependent and then therefore we can turn to him with this gratefulness, with this thanksgiving. So, you know, in the morning when it's like, and your feet hit the floor, and it's like, yeah, yes, God, it's you. It's you. It's he's giving us all that we have. So here's the difference. Sometimes you come across, you know, because I'm going to deal a little bit with nice people here, but there's nice people, and some people, they'll say to themselves, um, you know, I'm just so thankful. You know, okay. But you see how in that I'm just so thankful? But are thankful to nothing really there. I'm just thankful right? So there's a difference between a non-believer being thankful and a believer being thankful. And it looks kind of like this. So the non-believer says, wow, this tastes so good. You know, we like to eat good food. We have some of the best food in the world here in America. But the Christian says, wow, this tastes so good. Thank you, God. You see, he connects God into each experience. 
The non-believer says, oh man, that was so fun. We went, did this, did this, whatever. The believer says, that was so fun. Thank you, God, that you gave me like a body to enjoy that and then the experience to enjoy that. You see the way God's coming closer and closer even in the regular mundane things? This is where he wants us to live. It actually makes for a much more beautiful day than we normally put ourselves through. The non-believer says, my wife is wonderful. But the believer says, my wife is so wonderful, thank you, God. You see the connection there? And, and it's just one that like, I start to notice and I've started to try to put into practice and I just am like loving the results of just knowing and being able to see God everywhere in everything. So even in, in like so out, out in nature, it's a little bit easier. I'll just give you a quick example. So we were coming home last night in the car um, and, uh, and Chris says, oh my gosh, look at those two super bright stars right there. They look really close. And I'm like, I'm driving. So I'm like, all right, well, I got to put off looking at the stars right now, you know. But then we get to a point, and, and we're crossing this intersection. I said, oh, man, they are. They're, like, right there. I said, that has to be something else. So she starts looking up in her phone. I don't know how you do it. You know, look it up. And she says, they were, they were two planets that just happened to be near each other on this night and aligned in that way, and they show up really bright. I, what, Venus and Jupiter? Venus and Jupiter? Like, I, I heard of people seeing Saturn before, and I'm not really into all this stuff. But then I'm just going, wow, God, you mean... Like, I saw those things in the science books, like, rotating around, but then there they are, you know, held there in space by some sort of gravitational, rotational stuff only God understands, you know? He's just amazing, but all those moments when you can stack them together, I could have been driving the car going, eh, whatever. But when you stop and you, you just slow yourself down a minute and you take those things in, next thing you know, you find out your spirit is interacting with God. It's actually, like, glorifying in him and and it it's nice you see you see what i'm you see what i'm getting at here i'm actually getting at the core of the christian life where where when the when the christian is operating in the spirit you know love joy peace all those things is that it changes everything and all these things become foreign and like you don't want to be ungrateful because that's like a death that's like sinning ungratefulness that's what he's describing here you see kind of how that works Okay, pressing on, verse 3. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. I went all through verse 5. So, again, I'm, I can't hit all those terms. I think we you kind of get the, the idea there. Um, I will say that in this setup, when your lovers of self starts it off and then lovers of pleasure, um, just to notice about ourselves is that as we size up any particular day, time, event, or future, we, we normally, by our nature, by our nature, we are thinking, what's in it for me, and I like that or I don't like that, based on I like pleasurable, I don't like not pleasurable. 
you see? So we're not that far off from when we see lovers of pleasure and you look at them and go, oh, I can't believe you're a lover of pleasure. We all are taken in that direction. I just want to make sure we're including ourselves as we struggle with the, uh, the old nature. Okay, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Uh, from Brian Chapel, he wrote a commentary on this particular book. So he says this, um, this appearance of godliness, what he's actually starting to do here is he's, he's going to start talking about the imposters, okay? And, and so from these evil people, there's the imposters, and they're going to be, the ones Paul is worried about is not the imposters that are out there in the world, but the imposters that are coming into the church. You know, the church is expanding. It's meeting in multiple houses, and guys are coming through town, or they're already in the town, and they're infiltrating the camps, you know, and they're, they're going to be affecting these people, you know, in their teaching. So, and the thing is, they have the appearance of godliness. So, in other words, they're nice. They speak well. They are on time. They dress well. They sit in your meetings. They stay late. They do all those things. And just to bring one thing in there, too, is that the very last phrase in verse 13 says, deceived and being deceived. So when people are like this, it's not that they go, ha, 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 I'm an imposter. I'm going to sneak in on those people. No. They are just going, it's nice to be part of a Christian community. But see, they don't have the relationship, the spiritual relationship with God. They're just drawn on other, maybe it's like so they can tell themselves it's motive. So, it's so they can tell themselves they're good. Maybe they were raised that way, that it's better to do this. So they have a conscience issue. Whatever it is, maybe they're flat out sent by Satan. But they're deceived. They're not like necessarily going, I got these people. Now, I guess they can cross the line, but that's kind of not what he's saying here. Okay, so Brian Chapel says this about them. Their commands may sound like God's commands, and their religious paraphernalia may look the same, the same clothing, the same Bible, the same creeds. They may use the same meter in their prayers, just like authentic prayers, but they enslave people. They remain men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. So... This commentator is just saying that they are, they are not of the faith, okay, but they mix right in. So as we get here, I'm going to start bringing out some possibilities here of where we would come into contact with this. Because sometimes you tend to read this and you just go, ah, it's a long time ago, I ain't worried about any of that. Now, the same things are happening in the world today. The same things are happening in New Jersey today. The same things are happening in America today. Okay, so where we would or I would probably class, start to classify some of this is that, is that in your more liberal churches, so they would be churches who, who um, maybe not in their creed, but in the way they act, they kind of deny, or some of them just flat out say it, that, well, the whole Jesus thing is he's just a good moral teacher and all the rest of the miracles might be a little less and we don't need to talk about all the spiritual and just the good people are going to heaven. See, it just gets all blended in with nicey, nicey goodness um, instead of you are lost sinners and you need a radical salvation because you're in big, big trouble and there's only one way, you see. So it's, it's more on the kindness level and, and, um, and let me just leave it at that without 
naming certain denominations, but there are some that are definitely, definitely going to fit this bill much better than others. And some things are going to change church to church. Like I know liberal, um, you know, what I would classify as you could just, you know, a denomination I'm thinking of that just just really liberal and uh, we call it a social gospel. Everybody be happy and nice and we'll just be happy and nice. And they're more like what we call self-improvement communities. Now, who can argue with that, right? And it, it's okay, but if you're not teaching people the, the cross, then you're not teaching people. You know, you're, 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 it's just a, it's an imposter type. But depending on the individual, you can have that denomination and then this church, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, that guy's absolutely teaching that. So it, it, you know, I hate to throw a whole denomination under the bus or multiple ones, but it, it is something to, to consider. Um, so the part about denying its power. So there's that form of godliness, but they're not truly um, filled with the Spirit. They're not truly born again and saved. And so this is where, like Jesus said, apart from me, see, true Christians live in the Spirit, live in that relationship that we have with God at all times. Uh, just a quick note, I've just, just thinking today, in, in my daily time, I started to notice that you know, I, I, I use the Lord's Prayer as a model prayer. You know how you go through the phrases and you just kind of break it down so you get to that part where, uh, forgive us our trespasses, I remember what it is. Uh, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So deliver us from evil. When I pray for myself and my family, myself, I'll say, God, will you just tell me, whisper in my ear. Now, he doesn't really whisper in my ear. You know what I'm saying, right? Will you just tell me in my thoughts when I'm going down one of those um, thought lane sins, you know, where it could be worrying or I tend to complain in my mind and I worry and I have all the other sins too. And so it has been, and, and all of a sudden like a wave of worry will come over me. It could be about a job, anything, you know how it is, anything. And, um, and, and I'll be like, oh man, here it is. The, just recognizing it is so good because a lot of people just, oh, I'm going to worry and they just let it roll for hours, right? But here, you know, so the wave comes, it hits, I'm like, I didn't ask it to come. All of a sudden, I'm just having thoughts, and they're just, they're scaring me. They're bothering me. I'm scared. So, but I'll say, I'll say, God, you don't want me like this. I'm sorry for it, you know, but will you take this away? Give me that strength. Give me that power. And man, he's just like, all right, now you get it. We're in this together. Because the point here is denying its power. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do can anybody fill that in? Yeah, let's go with nothing. So, so we tend to, as Americans, we, t- we, we teach individualism very, very strong in America, and we tend to also say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you just do it. Just do it. You know, set your goal and you just go do it. The Bible does not say that. The Bible says, Jesus says, apart from me, you cannot just go do it. You can't do anything Now, am I saying you can't go shoot 100 foul shots? Okay, yeah. They're talking about victory over sin here. Apart from him, you cannot have victory over anything. And all I'm saying is ask. We do not have before we do not ask. And I'm telling you, that's not asking with wrong motive because the other point, one of the major points, I might be getting off right here. I'm going to say one more thing. One of the major points in the Bible is our sin causes interference with that beautiful communion and fellowship that we have with God. So the more you find, the more you kill, your life gets better. There's no sin that's given you true life. 
There's none. It gives you temporary little thrill, and then it leaves you hanging like it left you the last thousand times you did it. Got to press on. What did Paul say in the same thing? I worked harder than all of them because I just did it. No, he didn't say that. You see, I, I well, didn't mean to be heretical there. I was just throwing in the, just, just an effect here. I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about all the leaders. Though it was not I, but the grace of God with me. Ask for that. Ask for that. This is what the ones who have the appearance of God but denying its power avoid such people. This is what they're not doing, but this is what the believer does. So just a quick application there might be, if, if we know of, you know, we're trying to reach these people too, right? Even imposters. But as a church, we have to be careful. So you would probably see a lack of partnership with people like that, especially leaders in, the, in that category. And then as far as individuals, you know, because I, you know, people were coming to my mind, which probably isn't the best thing, when I was going through this with this appearance of godliness, and and then, but I think as as individuals, we just need to be watchful and kind. You know, I'm never want you to think that we're just being like nasty to these people. Okay, verse six: the imposters are creeping in. I'm going to read through verse nine. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Sorry about that, guys. Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So two things here. We have the guys creeping in, and we have the women. Who are they? What's happening here? Uh, from Gordon Fee's commentary, he's speaking about the women here. He says, religious quackery had an especially fruitful field among women. Both their... Both their less than satisfying social position in Greco-Roman society and their religious hunger, typical of the era, made women easy prey. He also says of the women, these women were not serious about their religion, but are just playing games. And, and I would always, whether you're reading the Bible or listening here, I would always be trying to make application here and now. That's why we do this, you know, to get a history lesson of Things isn't the most, I mean, it's helpful to set that stage, but always be even thinking in your mind and asking the Spirit to help with that too. Uh, another commentary, Walter Lifefield, if I'm saying his name right. These were unstable and needy women. The speaking of the imposters, he says, During the first centuries, the Roman Empire was crisscrossed by itinerant merchants, entertainers, philosophers, cult leaders, and others seeking to propagate or to peddle their wares and ideas. So you can see where you have a church that's all inviting, all come, hear about Jesus, hear about the gospel, you're going to have some guys creeping in, and, you know, the condition of the women, it wasn't exactly, you can't really know exactly what's happening here, but they're just giving a, a broader base. And um, 
it, it could have been when they're taking advantage of these women, it could have been financial, it could have been sexual, it could have been just a following, you know, someone who will listen to them. Um, but that's, that's the thinking here. And he's just saying that that type of fakeness is, won't get very far in the true kingdom. And certainly at the end, it's all, it's all going to be exposed. So in modern day America, where, you know, do we have these itinerant preachers creeping in? Were some of them here this Sunday? I don't know. No, I have more to say to about no, but we don't have that exact same thing. But where might we have false teachers or imposters affecting us or, or getting our ear? Where might we have that? How about TV? How about Facebook? How about podcasts? How about local church? Because there's going to be local churches that gravitate to this, uh, you know, a type of false teaching like that too. Books, all those things. So I, I did put together a list here of, of um, uh, just coming off of Doug's lead. He mentioned Joel Osteen. Um, you know, and, and the reason I'm going to bring up, I'm actually going to rattle off a bunch of them here because they're, they're very, very prominent. And one of the things about imposters and false teachers is they go right down the list and and it's hard to actually get one statement you can get one here and there they go oh no no that's not but a lot of what they say is things we could say but often it's what they don't say it's what they don't emphasize so it can be very puff you up puff the up the individual and not the relationship with the power that i was talking about earlier and it's just a kind of a waste of time and spinning your wheels um, but other ones, you know, that are, that are well-known, T.D. Jakes would fit in this category, Joyce, Joyce Meyer. I'm not talking about these. I mean, I didn't even bother to list those real crazy health, some of the really exorbitant health and wealth guys. I can't remember this one guy's name. He's old now. He actually, he probably died. Uh, Joyce Meyer, did I just say her? Uh, Beth Moore. You know, and, and it's not like you read a Beth Moore book and, and you're like, uh, you know, now you're going to be excommunicated or whatever. It's just that, again, it's not going to be helpful to you. And, and we can help each other with that because, you know, newer believers, this stuff can catch up with Stephen Furtick. You know, he, he's one you got to listen to for a while, you know, because he's, but, but he's going to pump you up. So I hope that's okay. I don't know, Eric, just list off a couple obvious ones. And, and th that... Just because you're not on this list, there's hundreds of them at all different levels, you know. So you just need to have an ear. That's why we have a local church. We have good pastors that hold to the line. Um, and that's why we have small groups. Just say, hey, you know, I saw this thing. I thought it was really cool. What do you guys think of that? I mean, that's, you know, we talk about that stuff at small group too. Okay. Um, pressing on. So starting verse 10, verse 10. He's going to shift gears with Timothy here. You, however, have followed. And this followed um, means you're like aware of, clearly aware of, and not necessarily like doing all these things, although he is, but it's more like you followed in the, like almost the Facebook sense, I guess. Uh, but really closely, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Lystra, just I'll stop right here for a quick second. Uh, 
Lystra is where Paul was stoned. Have you ever guys seen pictures of someone where they were trying to stone someone to death, where they were stoning? You know, like, when I remember when I was a kid reading this and, you know, that someone got stoned, I was picturing these, you know, people throwing little stones at them. Well, that'd take forever to kill somebody with little stones like that. But it's, it's really this size, you know, bowling ball size stuff, and they are just smashing an individual. So we've all seen things that kind of really can turn you and just, oh, you know. But it's likely the commentators thought that Timothy either personally witnessed or would have been there right after the stoning. And Paul was left for dead. They thought in Lystra, they took that guy, drug him out, and they smashed him to bits and killed him. They thought he was dead. That's the one time Paul's talking about. And so Timothy got to experience really firsthand on, you want to follow Jesus? You want to live a true life that nobody gets, but we're going to push it out there as much as we can? Um, this is, this, is what we, this is what we can expect. Um, pressing on. Okay, uh, so I'm in the middle of verse 11. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Meaning he survived. Obviously he was still beat the heck out of him. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While... Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So from here, you know, Paul lays out this criteria, you know, having followed my teaching, uh, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, you know, all those virtues. But with the limit of time, I just really wanted to zero in on one thing. He says, my persecutions and my sufferings. And then also he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, persecuted means suffering brought by an individual or a group. So it could be a government group, could be just vigilantes, could be an individual who just doesn't like you. But it's because of your religious affiliation. In this case, persecution as a Christian, it's because you are a believer. And they know you are. You either said you are or they can just tell. Okay? Uh, it, but persecution, this is just a, it can be based on race and gender, but the persecution we're talking about is the persecution for the Christian brought by other individuals. So here in America, okay, we're very fortunate we don't necessarily have government persecution. You know, I don't remember the last time anyone was arrested for being a Christian, okay, or beat or anything like that. But the type of persecution we have is, what, what do we have? We tend to say, I used to say to myself, I've never been persecuted. And then I thought, if it's just any suffering, I have been lightly persecuted. There's people who, I just don't want to even get closer. To, I'm just trying to be vague in general. There's people who don't, who don't approve or just don't like how much I'm involved in church. So therefore, I'm just a little you know, shoved off to the side there. You know, you're just not quite as embraced as quite as you, you would be. You know, that's a form of persecution. Um, the, the thing we worry about, the fear of man part we have, where, where we don't necessarily, may not talk to somebody that, that we think we should have or whatever, you know, that fear of man, that's what we're fearing. We're fearing that they don't like us. That would be them persecuting us. Now, we, that's what, that's what, 
Paul is way beyond that. <laughs> he, you know, he'll push it to the point where he's getting locked up, you know, um, in a city. So that's what it is. Now, suffering um, is really a hardship or a loss or pain caused by internal or external influences. I'm just the broad definition of suffering. It's just anything that you don't like. You're suffering. Bad weather can cause you to suffer. It's ruining your day. Uh, illness definitely calls you to suffer. The heat, the cold, uh, breakdowns in your car, disasters, hunger, loss of time, loss of money, and sinners can definitely cause suffering. The people around us cause us to hurt. You know, we're frustrated, we're, we're worn down, that, that's suffering. So his point here is that if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus that we're all called to do, actually, I want to get to that. Uh, yeah, let, let, let me tell you a quick story right first. The, the, the suffering for a Christian is voluntary suffering. We can always choose to take that pleasure route. Like, nah, I, I, I don't want to do that ministry at church because... Just, just handling them kids, man. It just, I just can't do it, you know. Or I don't want to do that. I'm just tired. See, that's suffering. Go when you're tired. You know, I don't want to do that or this or that because, you know, I, I just worked and this, this happened, and I just don't want to. You know, it can come down to just that. But see, that's the, that's what we're actually called to do. Now I'm going to get to the good part, but we're called to do that. And, and this voluntary suffering that we do, even though I think it's relatively minor, but if you look back like over the years, it can really add up, you know? It can really add up how many times that you've been involved in some ministry or small group. Because even small group, you might say, well, that's not my ministry. Uh, it's your ministry if you're a participant. You bring something to that group. You pray for that group. There you go. That takes time. That takes effort. It takes memory to remember their names when you're praying for them, right? That's ministry. That's what we're giving. That's time. That's loss. That's some of the suffering that we're, we're called to do. See, along, when Paul listed here, along the way, he's going to do something. It's not persecution when his ship was shipwrecked. That wasn't like one individual saying, you know, that was God granting that his ship was shipwrecked, but that's suffering for Christ in the meantime of doing that He's, re, he's, you know, receiving that suffering. So in this voluntary suffering, here's the way to handle it. Um, I'm going to tell a quick story. I want to tell it. No, I'm not going to tell that story. Uh, yeah, so, um, all right, I got to tell it right now, so sure. So, so one of the, I've been, I talked to Kaylee, my daughter, a lot about, um, walking with God and, and stuff. So she, she coaches uh, basketball. i got to make this really quick. And so part of that at the, at the Atlanta Christian School, part of that is you're given this group, you know, and we're really to look at all of life as a ministry, all of it, all of it, every day, everywhere. So she's given these girls, you know, for that four years or whatever. And you're used to this in sports in a Christian environment is, um, you hear it all the time, you know, you're playing for God. There's nothing wrong with that. You are. You're playing for God. But there's something absent with that alone left like that. Because when you're playing for God, you can just go out there and go, I'm just giving my best for God, you know. And still, I'm okay with that. 
But the true Christian has another element in that, and you're actually playing with God. You're playing for God, and the one we miss is with God. Remember? So all of life we're trying to do this. So he, he's with you with the questions. He's with you with the appeals. If you're in a basketball game, it's, God, I'm losing strength. Will you give me the strength now? He's with you. It's, I don't understand why this is happening. He wants to live every phase of life with you in this, in this talking. You know, we say we walk and talk with God, but then sometimes I wonder, do we? Sometimes I wonder, would you just read our Bible in the morning and then pray and then, okay, done. Now the rest of the day, I just think, think about things the way I want to think about things. I don't think that's really part of the Christian life. So there's that for and with, and that's the way we suffer. We suffer for and with God. So a uh, couple key points. Voluntary suffering is commanded in the Bible. For it has been granted to you, this is from Philippians 1, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Pretty direct. Voluntary suffering is hard. William Barclay, if I'm saying this right, he says this, if anyone proposes to introduce into his life a loyalty, that would be our loyalty with God, which surpasses all earthly loyalties, then there are bound to be clashes and collisions. It is hard to continue to do that next thing. But that, that's not all. Like there's a Voluntary suffering is very, very, very rewarding. Philippians, again, chapter 3, this is Paul. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Is he talking about knowing him way in the future when he dies? I don't think so. He counts everything, and he was a decorated Jew. He could have been sipping my ties with the whoever, you know, and yet he is traveling to another city because he's going to talk about Jesus. And he considers that a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And one, one um, uh, what do you call it, translation said, surpassing riches of knowing him. He viewed that relationship. That's how he, he can get to prison and sing. He's in prison. <laughs> He's, and they're singing. It's just almost like nuts. Uh, unless Jesus is with you, then life is beautiful. You see the way we can let everything go and just walk through this life? We get really caught up here in America. It's, it's tough that way. Jesus said it this way, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We got to lose it. In America, we have plenty of opportunity. There's always more business opportunity. There's always more fun. There's always more food. There's always more something. It's just all calling us all the time. You know, there's probably a TV show on I could have been watching when I was, came here, right? Actually, I, I love you guys. I love this too, so... <laughs> This is just, it's wonderful. So, this, this helped me too. This is, uh, 
just to understand who God is, remember we talked about how wonderful the power that surpasses everything, giving everybody, and how kind he is. Here we are, this fallen race of people. We're dirty in his eyes. We owe him a debt we could never pay. We've rejected him. We're indifferent to him. Like, can you imagine God present and we just go, oh, get away from me. I got some sinning to do, you know? That is just a horrid people that we are, that we need help from. And here's the thing, that's who we are to him, right? And, and this, is, this is what Jesus does. God, that's Jesus, God, the Son. Jesus gave up paradise, ease of life, supreme pleasure, complete joy and comfort, total riches and life with the greatest loving family group imaginable. That's the Trinity, by the way. That Trinity, that three, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they delight and love each other so much. They had relationship. That's the reason they made us in their image, and we have relationship. They had relationship unbelievable. And they still make a plan. Let's make man in our image, even though they're going to fall and turn on us and be our enemies, and then, God, the Son, gives up paradise to come down here and live, be born in a barn, cold, hot, hunger, rejection. He's spit on. He's mocked. He's lonely. He's misunderstood. He's sad. He's mournful, he's abandoned, he's betrayed, he's tortured and shamefully crucified, naked. Excuse me. On a cross in front of everyone. That's just a, a picture of, like, love. <laughs> that God has for us, it's an incredible story. It's like the greatest love story ever told. He doesn't need it. That same text in Acts said, as though God needed anything. He doesn't need anything. And yet, he'll take, like, you know, we're... You know, we have value, but we turned on him. We're his enemies. We're scum to him. We're so dirty, he can't even be around us. So he has to come and pay that gigantic price of humiliation. It, you know, I, just to end with this, I remember reading through one of the gospel accounts and just going, that's God they were talking to, and that's God that they were humiliating. And yet he willfully does that for us so that he can not only clean our record, legal record of wrong we've done to him, but adopt us into the royal family and then give us the entire inheritance of the entire universe? This is the gospel. This is what he gives. That's the offer. 
We don't do by work or anything. He just, just give it. We just say thank you with that gratitude. It's crazy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, and thank you mostly for your son. Uh, we thank you for his love. We just thank you that you've given us everything that we talked about, life and breath and everything. But then on top of that, you've given us a salvation. You've adopted us into your family that we would be one with you and that we would inherit everything with you and you forever. Help us to lose our grip on this world and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.